David, as of now, he's, he's in a sweet spot in his life. He's communing with the Lord. He's allowing God to direct his steps, to order his steps. He's not striving. He's not manipulating. He's just sitting back, walking in the Lord. He's enjoying something that every believer should enjoy, no matter the situation. Sweet fellowship with the Lord, submitting to God's timetable, not ours, because David is about to be king finally over the entire nation of Israel. Remember last week, they've anointed him king in Judah, and now, waiting on the Lord, he's about to be king over all of Israel. And we're going to pick up chapter uh, 2, verse 8. But Abner, and there's a lot of good buts in the Bible, even the Old Testament, but this is not a good one here. Abner, we're going to find out. He's a great warrior along with Joab. It's like, I don't know, I'm, of course, I'm dating myself and I don't mind. I remember that great uh, sitcom drama, Dallas, when it first came out with J.R. and his, his other nemesis. And these, uh, Abner and Joab, reminds me of J.R. because J.R. would always work behind the scene trying to work things out for his good. And it, and it really never happened. So David's chief rival here, even though Saul is off the scene, Abner is his nemesis now. And Abner is fitting that Abner and, and David really, we see a contrast because while David is submitting his will to the Lord and allowing the Lord to fight his battles, once again, Abner knowing that the kingdom belongs to David, because if we recall, when David was fighting Goliath and Saul asked, who is this young man? And it was Abner who said, this is David. So uh, Abner knows the story. He knows that the kingdom belongs to David. But yet and still, Abner in his self-will and his self-rule and not wanting to be harnessed by the Lord is going to still take Saul's kingdom and run with it for about five more years. It's a total of seven years before he becomes king of Israel. But it says in verse 8, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth means man of shame. And I don't know, I guess they call them man of shame the Lord knew because when his other brothers was on Mount Gilboa fighting, it says nothing about Ishbosheth being there. The son of Saul, he took him and brought him over to Mahanam. And remember, Abner by this time, Abner is walking in grace, the grace of the Lord, because when David goes in to the camp of Israel, it had to be supernatural because the Lord had to put a great sleep on Israel. David goes in, takes Uh, Saul's spear and his crews, and Abner was supposed to be protecting Saul. So truly, uh, Abner should have lost his life right there, but Saul spared him, spared him, and it says, and he made him king over Gilead. This is what Abner did. 
over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. So seven and a half years will go by before David becomes king over all of Israel. Five years is really, most commentators think that Abner was running the show. He runs the show for the entire seven and a half years, but Ishbosheth, he's the puppet king, but he's getting his orders from Abner. Even when this is going on, the Philistines are still harassing the children of Israel. So instead of Abner saying, okay, let's bring the kingdom together, David, we're, we're giving you the kingdom so that we can fight the Philistines, Abner is thinking nothing but himself that's going on here. And that's what we're going to find out about him. And as I was thinking about that, as believers, the Bible says in 1 John, we should walk in light as he, Jesus Christ, is in the light. Because only when we're walking in the light is when we have true fellowship with the Lord. And as believers, we know if we're walking in the light or not. We know what the Word says. So when we just obstinately disobey His Word, we're no longer walking in fellowship with the Lord. And I say that because Abner knows once again that David should be king. And so he's not only fighting against David, he's fighting against the Lord, and that's always a no-win battle. It says in verse 10, Ishbosheth Saul's son was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So Judah is not going for it. David, Judah is, is, David is Judah's king right now. And I give David some credit here because in these seven and a half years, he does not go to war with the kingdom of Israel. David, especially here, is a picture of Jesus Christ because God's true King Jesus, he never takes territory by force. He never takes our hearts by force. He gives every human being a choice. Will you choose me? Will you choose Christ? Or will you choose your own self-will? So David, once again, is just sitting back. It says this in Revelations chapter 3, I think. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus speaking. If any man opens the door, I will come in and dine or sup with him. So once again, David is not striving. He's not conniving. He's not trying to make things happen in his own energy but he's waiting on the Lord, and the Lord rewards him for that. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now Abner, the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. Abner, once again, is only thinking of himself. He moves his forces from up north, he goes down to, to the south where Gibeon is. David has a group of men there. And once again, at this time, when they should be fighting the Philistines, they're having a civil war. It says, and Joab, the son of Zariah. Zariah is David's sister. She has three sons here, Joab, uh, Ashiel, and Abishai. This is David's nephew, of course. And so they know each other. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's like sometimes the uncle is a lot younger than the nephews. I think this is the picture here because the sister is so much older. And it says, and Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. You guys know I love Westerns. I, I see this picture as, as the OK Corral. All of the gangsters are there. All of the cowboys are there, and they dislike each other. This civil war is going on. I'm sure Abner knows Joab and vice versa because these two men are great warriors. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they arose and went over by number over by number 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. I wouldn't want to be one of the 12. I wouldn't even want to be in this. I, wish, I would have wanted to be away with David. David shows wisdom. He's not here. And it says, and each one grasped his opponent by the head, see that picture, and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Uh, once again, this is no Oculus meta uh, game here. This is the sports, the blood sports they played. They just felt like this would be cool. Let's see who wins. Neither one wins. Some commentator says uh, David's 12 men did not die, but I don't agree with that. If you get stabbed with a sword or a dagger in, your, in the stomach, it says they all fell down, and I'm sure all of them fell down dead at this time. So they're engaging in combat here, sporting. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. And this is a barbaric display. This shows really the depravity of man. What do you want to do? You know, growing up, I used to love boxing, and I still watch it. If it's a, something I say, a good boxing match. But what I cannot watch is those MMA fighters. It's a little too barbaric for me just to see them beat one another. And uh, I'm reminded of the movie Gladiator. Are you not entertained? And that's all it is, entertainment. That's what's happening here. These are image bearers of God. And they just go and grab one another and slaughter one another. But once again, David shows wisdom. David is not here. And it's a good thing David is not here because, this, once again, this is a civil war that's brewing. And it's about to be a greater civil war. And David is going to rule over the entire nation of Israel. So it's best that he wouldn't even be caught up in this. One of Jesus' Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount says this in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what every believer is called to, peace. For they shall be called sons of God. That's David's heart. I have to remind myself of that. I'm here to make peace, and I do everything best I can to live peaceably with one another. So he says in verse 17, So there was a very fierce battle that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. What happens after this little sporting event, they go to war with one another. 
It says, now the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Ashiel. And Ashiel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm pretty sure it's probably a good thing. I I told you about what they would say about Deion Sanders in his prime. They said when he would run, it was like he was running on air. And as I think of Ashiel here, he must have been something like that. But it says, so Ashiel pursued Abner. Of all the people Ashiel could have pursued, it was a bad day for him because he pursues this great warrior, Abner. And in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, are you Ashiel? I don't know how he knew that. I guess he was catching up with him very quickly. He answered, I am. And Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left. Now, that's something he should have did at this time. I know what Joshua says, we shouldn't turn from the right hand or the left when it comes to the scriptures. But this is, this is good information. He should have took heart. And lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself get you a trophy for someone else because you're not qualified, you're not ready to go to battle against me. That's what he's telling him. But Ashiel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Ashiel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? So he knows Joab. Joab, once again, being a seasoned warrior, a veteran on the battlefield. He knows that about Joab, and he doesn't want to have to face Joab. However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear. They said they would sharpen the blunt end of the spear so they could just stick it in the ground if they had to and not get the the spear dull by putting it in the ground. So he hit Ashiel. With so much force, running, he saw him, hit him, and it went all the way through his back. Now, that's a lot of force there. That's what happens. So that the spear came out of his back, and he fell down there and died on the spot. I'm sure he did. So it was that as many as came to the place where Ashiel fell down and died, stood still. This is a civil war that's happening, and it turns into a blood feud after this with Joab and Abishai. And so it just gets worse and worse. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amma, which is before Gia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit. So they, they, they get ready, they're going to war, and took their stand on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, shall the sword devour forever? Abner asked a great question. I believe Abner was a wise man. It's a great question for the church today. Shall the sword devour forever? He says, do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren. And so what Joab, what Abner is saying, we are all Israelites here, and we shouldn't be fighting against one another. 
And he, he probably told him, I also warned Ashiel about coming after me. But with all of that going on, because the Old Testament is nothing but pictures of a New Testament principle, so there's a precept here that I think we should understand. And once again, that is, whenever we wage war, even as a nation against nation, or even if there's a dispute in the body of Christ, we should do everything we can to keep the unity and the bond of peace. That's what Jesus requires of us. Someone does you wrong no matter what it is, and I have to remind myself, and Lydia is good to remind me because I say, hey, you did me wrong. It's going to take time. The Lord is saying the Holy Spirit in you, the grace of God that he dispenses to us, we should make peace. We should allow space for peace. Just think of what's happening here. And we should definitely do that in the body of Christ. So what? We should be quick to forgive. We should be wise, but we should be quick to forgive and let the Lord handle everything else. That's what happens here. It says in verse 27, and Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by mourning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through, went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanam. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants 19 men and Ashiel. So I don't know if that's the 19 men plus the 12, I would probably think that. But then he says, but the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. Remember, David is getting stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul is getting weaker and weaker. And the reason David is getting stronger and stronger is because he's yielding more and more to the will of God. When we yield to the will of God, when we're walking in fellowship and communion with the Lord, no matter what the enemy tries to throw our way, it's going to be worked out for our good. And we grow stronger and stronger, more mature in the Lord. That's how it works. It says, Then they took up Ashiel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Chapter 3. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, still called the house of Saul. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. That's what happens once again when we're walking with the Lord. David, I think Psalm says this, Delight, delight yourself in the law of the Lord, 
and he and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. Just keep doing right. Just continue to obey the Lord. In his season you will prosper, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's what's happening to David. That's what's happening to the whole kingdom of Judah at this time. There's no tension. There's no struggling between Judah and Israel. And the reason is because the right king will soon be acknowledged. And that right king is David. Even now, we're going to find out the men of Israel, the whole house of Israel, is eyeing and watching David because they are watching him prosper and they want to be united with David. But Abner is not letting it happen right now. And it's the same thing with every believer. Once again, I'm saying the same thing. When Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of our hearts, no matter what's happening in our lives, It will benefit us. He will take care of us. He will prepare a table for his children in the midst of his enemies. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's always there for our good, no matter what's going on in our lives. But we have to take hold of that by faith. This Christian walk is a walk of faith, not by sight. I'm reminded of what? Help me out, Paul Allen, the guy who came to Gwinnett, Calvary Chapel pastor, older guy. I don't think you were there. We talk about him all the time. No, 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 no. God, I can't think of it. Anyway, we'll think of it in a minute. You'll think of his name when I say this. He says, it's just like our five senses physically When they begin to deteriorate, your eyes, you can't see that well, you can't hear anymore. He says, when a man or a woman walk by faith, those five, the senses of spiritually begin to enhance at a greater level. So it does not matter if you can't see it or not. But you've walked with the Lord so much, you know it's there, you know it's happening, you know he's working for your good. A great teaching there. And that's what's happening here. David is walking with the Lord, and he's growing in faith. So he doesn't have to see everything laid out for him anymore. He's trusting in the Lord. He's not leaning to his own understanding. And God blesses us when we do that. Verse 2 says this, Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon. Amnon means faithful. By Antinoam, the Jezreelitess. His second, Chiliab, means likeness of the father by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, father of peace, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Notice it says the daughter of Talmai because David is marrying these women to form a a military or political league and, and strengthen his kingdom, and he's depending more on the marriages he's making than trusting in God, and this is, we all know, is going to come back and bite him. The fourth, Adonijah, my Lord is Jehovah, the son of Haggath, the fifth, Shephthiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ethereum, by David's wife, Eglah. These were born 
to David in Hebron. And what the Holy Spirit gives us here, this is more than a genealogy. Who cares about the genealogy right here? The Holy Spirit is speaking to it, and it, it, it testifies against the wrong decisions David is making. He's, he's depending on these leagues and these political uh, comings together instead of depending on God. So even right here, we see a little chink in the armor of David. It's, it's something in his character that he's not depending with his whole heart on God. He's still making leagues for his benefit, and he's doing this by his marriages. The last chapter, he only had two wives. He has four now, six altogether. Deuteronomy said, had told the king, you write this down. Do not multiply horses. Do not multiply wives, and do not multiply silver or gold. And that's what he's doing. We know it was common in the culture, especially in the Near East, to have harems. Once again, politically or militarily, you would have these harems, but David was not supposed to have them. God never winks at sin. Once again, this is a cultural thing, but the Scripture tells us from the beginning, one man and one woman for one lifetime. That's what God says. That was his principle in this thing. And that's the biblical point of view. And that's what we should ride with. But David is not doing this. David is multiplying women. He's multiplying leagues to strengthen his kingdom. And some people say, well, the Lord never rebukes David about this. Even I read some scholars would say the same thing. Well, God just never rebuked him. But I beg to differ because all you have to do is look at David's life, and the rebuke is there. Remember when Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar, and then here comes Absalom. He, 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 he goes against a rebellion against David because he says David didn't do enough about that. He didn't put Amnon to death. And so he runs David from his kingdom. And then uh, Absalom goes on top of the roof with David's harem. And what he did in the secret, David with Bathsheba, the Lord allows Absalom to do this. And then when David is off the scene, it's still working against his family because Adonijah, when he says Solomon is the crown prince, but then Adonijah goes and tries to take over his Solomon's kingdom. So all of this because of his intermarriages with these other women. That's what the Lord is showing us here. And it never works out. So the Lord rebuked David. I think what, what the Lord says, was it Nathan who says, go tell uh, David, I think Nathan was the prophet who says the sword will never depart from you or either Gad, one, one of those two prophets. And it never did, all because of him making these leagues. So he was rebuked very harshly for what he does here. Verse 6 tells us, Now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. Abner is working behind the curtain. And Saul 
And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubines? Because if you did that, what you were saying is, I'm usurping the kingdom. I don't care about you. The kingdom is in rebellion. And besides, Ishbosheth, man of shame, Abner knew he wouldn't do anything about it anyway. And it really doesn't tell us in Scripture, did Abner do this or not? We don't know. But we know that Ishbosheth thought he did, but he did nothing to him. It tells us in verse 8, then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? And I still don't understand that. I guess that was something bad. Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David. You're sitting here all because of me. I'm really the king. That's what he might as well say. And you charged me today with the fault concerning this woman. May God do so to Abner. And more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord, here it is, as the Lord has sworn to him because Abner knew David was supposed to be king, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba, the entire kingdom. And we can be certain that Abner doesn't do this out of the goodness of his heart the zeal of loving the Lord and repenting of what he's been doing and say, oh, Lord, I, I've repented. I'm going to help David get the kingdom. He does this because he sees the writing on the wall. He knows that Ishbosheth is a weak king. He knows that Ishbosheth should not even be on the king. And that's why it says in chapter 3 at the beginning, David is growing stronger and stronger and Saul's kingdom is beginning to be weaker and weaker. And all the eyes of Israel is on David because they want David to be king anyway. So uh, Abner is just having an excuse, making an excuse so he can go and complete this. As believers, Scripture tells us we should examine ourselves, making sure we're in the faith. Once again, we need to make sure that the Lord is on the throne of our hearts, that we're not in rebellion to anything that the Lord is speaking to us that we should do, should be doing, that we are walking in lockstep in fellowship with the Lord the best of our ability. Abner, once again, he's sinning against light. And there's always danger when you do that. He says, and he could not answer Abner, speaking of Ishbosheth, verse 11, another word, because he feared him. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Abner is acting like he's the king. And I love David because David is not going to truly give him the time of day. David is going to direct his reply and his answers to who is the king, Ishbosheth. So he's going to. Bring Abner down to his rightful position, a servant and a middleman. I know you've been acting like king. You're wanting to be king, but I'm not going to acknowledge you as king. Even Ishbosheth, he's the king, 
and we know you've been plotting and manipulating things here. So I love his reply. David saying, who, who is the land saying also, make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. So he's speaking again as a man in authority, in a, as a man in charge. And it tells us in verse 13, and David said, good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So he's saying, Ishbosheth, this is the transaction you must make if you want to unite the kingdom here. Bring me Michael, my wife. And he's saying, I can't, for the life of me, I can't understand why he wants Michael because he's not, she's not going to be anything but a thorn in his side again. But the reason he wants her back, because David is shrewd here, he knows he's bringing Israel together. And this is going to show that he's bringing Israel together because he's getting his wife back. So David sent messengers, not to Abner, here it is, to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. So he's not even dealing with Abner. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Patiel, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. That's a sad picture there. I guess he loved her. But it never works out like that, by the way. She was married to this man. She wasn't supposed to be with him. So the Lord, most of the time, never let things go uh, when it shouldn't be. This woman, Michael, belongs to David. And they knew this. So whether he loved her uh, or not, and it seems he did, the Lord wasn't going to stand for that. So he gets his heart broke. They take her back to David. So Abner said to him, go return, and he returned. So Abner's running the show there. He's a tough guy. Now, Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, in time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you, always. Ever since he's come back to the throne, because remember, when Judah makes him king, after he defeats Oh, gosh, wasn't the Amorites, the Amalekites. Remember, he takes all of these presents and he, he distributes them to not only to Judah, but to Israel also. So he's very shrewd and he's bringing people together and they know David is a good guy. They know David, it was because of Saul that he's been estranged for these 30 some years. So their eyes is on David, but Abner has been holding them hostage to them coming to David. And it was all because at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, Israel wanted a king, and they got a worldly king. They got Saul, head and shoulders taller than everyone else, handsome, everything else, but he didn't have the heart of David. And then it's... it's, it's I don't understand it because even after 20-something years, when David goes back and he gets Judah, Judah makes him king. You would think 
that God would say, okay, let's unite the kingdom right now. David is waiting. David is in fellowship. David is doing the right thing. But then he waits another seven and a half years, and this puppet king, Ishbosheth is king. Really, it's the gangster leader, Abner, that's ruling. And so he has to wait seven and a half more years until the kingdom is united. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. That's what we have to do. We can be doing, don't get it twisted, we can be doing the correct thing. We can be walking in lockstep with the Lord, and the bottom still might fall out. But remember, we're passing through here. We're passing through. This place is not our home, and we will be rewarded for our faithfulness with the Lord. Verse 18, now then do it, he says, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their uh, enemies. Abner knows the truth. All four gospel tells us it was because of envy that they did not let the religious leaders, they did not let the Messiah reign. A majority of the uh, religious leaders knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but it was because of their position in the now that they could not see the then. And let that not be our problem. Let that not be our issue. We can't be so concerned about the now that we forget about the then. We walk by faith. Once again, we're passing through. We're pilgrims here. And we can't let the enemy or our flesh distort the truth of that. Don't we're on shaky ground, you guys. He says in verse 19, and Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and the 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Notice David is being gracious whether he wants to be gracious or not. I don't know David's heart. I don't know if David's bitter, and he probably is bitter and upset with Abner. But once again, we do not go by feelings. We go by the word of God. Live at peace with everyone the best you can. So David, I'm sure, is upset. But because of uniting the kingdom and bringing good to the kingdom, that's why David is a shepherd. That's why God knew David's heart. David says, forget about me. It's not about me. Yeah, my feelings may be hurt. Yeah, you might have stabbed me in the back, but it's not about me. It's about this kingdom. And we've been in a civil war, and I want peace. And we know the Lord wants peace. And so that's... That's another precept for the church. We must live in peace. We must be united. There's one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. So we must walk in unity here. And David does that. Romans 12, 18 says, 
if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 21, then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. How long has it been since David finally sees this come to fruition when that cruise of oil was poured on his head as a little lad? And it says, so David sent Abner away. And notice what the Holy Spirit says. And he went in peace. The Holy Spirit will say he went in peace two more times because he wants us to know that all of the things that David had been through, he just pushed it aside. I want peace for the kingdom. I want peace for the people. I want peace in my heart because any other thing will eat at us. So we should desire peace. I'm reminded of what Eliab, David's younger, older brother said when he went His dad had sent him to the battlefield to check out how the battle was going. And he said, and Eliab said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? David didn't care whether he had a few sheep or not. He would give his life for the sheep, just like a picture of Jesus Christ. These sheep wouldn't bite. He's about to take control of a huge kingdom, and the sheep he's about to rule over, they will bite, and they will bite him several times. But it does not matter to David. David will still lay down his life for his flock. It says, so David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. At that moment, man, happenstance. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the king of Ner, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away. And he has gone in peace. Don't you know this ate Joab up? He is red. He is hot. He is angry. And he's going to show it. David is about to have the entire kingdom coronate him as king. I'm sure David is feeling well, whistling, having a great time. And then this happens. David has been waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. And now it's about to happen. Paul tells us, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, chapter chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's what David wanted. That's what he's striving for. But Joab wants something else because he self-willed also. Then Joab came to the king and said, notice how he talks to the king. What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he has already gone? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. Now, help me out. 
I think the scripture tells us that David is the king, not Joab. But Joab is acting or reacting like he's the king, disrespecting the king. I've been watching the, a little on TV about the, the funeral and your highness and all of this etiquette stuff, the proper things you should say. They should be saying this thing. He should be saying these things to David, but he's not because he's upset at David. And I begin to think about when the true king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, doesn't make the move I think he should make. And he doesn't do what I think he should do because I know more than he knows I find myself saying the same thing sometimes. What are you doing, Lord? Don't you know what's going on? You should have did that, and I would have did it that way. And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ is not a ruthless king, not a hard king. Because any other king, if I spoke to him the way I do sometimes, or as Joab speaks to David, would have taken his head off. But the Lord Jesus Christ is patient, and he's slow to wrath, and he's slow to anger, and he's quick to forgive us of our sins, just like the Father. And he says, hey, you might think you know more. You might think you're going the right way. But it was me who said, the heart is deceitfully wicked among all else. Who can know it? So you need to be in my word, and you need to obey my word, no matter, once again, what things look like. The compass is the word of God, and no matter what's going on, we should obey it. God is merciful. He is gracious. We don't have to understand. All we have to do is obey. And I'll close with this verse because it touched my heart. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Victor, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So whenever, just everyday walk of life, it doesn't have to be when we're going through something. It usually happens when we're going through things we shouldn't, we think we shouldn't be going through. We tend to tell the Lord, what he should be doing. We have to understand that he is king. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. And he has our best interest at hand. And whether we understand it or not, we walk by faith. And that's when we are truly pleasing to the Lord. It's easy to walk through that rose garden when everything is going well, we obey. It's when, when things are going sideways, we trust him and we obey him then. I hear 2 Corinthians says, paraphrasing, that's what puts a smile on his face when we bear under things and we've done the correct things. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful that your son is merciful. I'm so thankful that he's a king who understands our frame and know we are only dust. Father, Give us grace to no matter what's going on in our lives, to do what David did at this point. He waited on you. Even when he thought 
all of the kingdom would be his. He had to wait seven and a half more years before that came to fruition. Lord, give us grace to wait and humbly bow to your will while we wait. That way we will bring glory and honor to your dear son, Jesus Christ, and that's what we're here for. Lord, I continue to lift up Joanne Shabelsky. I pray for a great report tomorrow. Lord, so give them peace of mind, peace of heart. And Lord, I pray for everyone at CR, Father, that you would uh, show yourself strong in our lives, that you would give us grace to forgive, to be quick to forgive, and move on and bring glory to your dear son, Jesus Christ. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.